and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. Very excited to have Chella Man on today's episode. If you don't know him, get ready to know someone that's going to blow your mind. He is an artist, an activist, and now an author. His book, Continuum, is out. It's all about his journey uh, to self-acceptance uh, through his deaf, transgender, gender, queer, Jewish, and Chinese identities. Uh, he has been through quite an experience and he shares it so eloquently uh, with me and with all of us. I'm so uh, inspired by how gorgeous this human being is. We talk about the anxieties of putting your art on display and how he turned cochlear ear implants into stunning high-end jewelry. Hear all about it on this episode of Not Too Deep with Chill Man. Okay, Chella, I am so excited that you are here. And for okay. for guests that I have that are uh, so multifaceted, that are that wear a lot of hats, I like to ask them, how do you describe yourself and the work that you do? Loaded I, question. I know, a very easy question to start with. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, I describe myself as my name, mm-hmm. uh, Chella Man. My pronouns are he, him. I am first and foremost an artist. I also identify as deaf, trans masculine, genderqueer, Jewish, and Chinese. Um, I would also say I'm just a very curious individual. Yeah, I like that. I like that very much. I mean, you're an artist, you're a new author, you're uh, a a motivational speaker, you're (laughs) just an incredible human being. Now, I want to talk about one of, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the first like major things you did on the internet was this uh, TED talk or TEDx talk uh, called Becoming Him, where you touch a lot on identification versus presentation. And I found it extremely helpful for myself to just hear from your perspective about that because I'm still trying to learn too. And I'm wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you for watching. Of Um, course. When I did it at the time, I was scared because I used to have this huge fear of public speaking. um, And that was really just me like, Going for it. It's an intense stage to get up on and to share something so vulnerable and personal. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But it was liberating as well because it showed mm-hmm. me I could do it. You know, it was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. My premise for the TED Talk. So first and foremost, I let everyone know that I was trans and kind mm-hmm. of approached the audience in a way where I expected them to know nothing, you know, and yeah. I wanted it to be very accessible and digestible for anyone who was watching. Mm-hmm. So I really just went over my top three revelations I've had on my gender journey. Yeah. And oh man, let's see if I remember this order. I know that the first one was really discovering my identity of gender queer, which is mm-hmm. basically existing beyond the binaries of boy and girl, just like no expectations, no limitations about what you can be. I believe that there's as many genders in the world as there are people. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, creating one of my own, you know? I saw you talk in another interview where you said there's like, you know, 7 billion people on the planet. How can we possibly fit into two categories, all of us? I was like, what a simple and profound way to explain all of this. But it's so true. I just think about that. Like, it's almost like the biggest 
like conspiracy of the world. Yeah. It's possible, you know? So then the second revelation I had after realizing that I wanted to identify genderqueer and have no limitations was pronouns. You know, I Mm. felt like I had to use they, them because that was neutral. And stereotypically, that is what I believe non-binary and genderqueer was, just like this Mm -hmm. neutral in-between. But what I realized since then, like the title of my book, is the continuum that really exists. It's not just this linear spectrum from A to B where like you're neutral in the middle. It's this whole wild, weird, complex globe, you know, of just so many different things you could be in. I realized I just felt more comfortable with he, him pronouns. Mm. And that did not at all take away from my identity as genderqueer. And it was, when I say it out loud now, it feels so simple, but right. I really did struggle with this idea and concept for so long. I'm sure. I mean, that's why I think it's so, I mean, your your brain is on overdrive because you're still very young, but you have these very, uh, beautiful ways of explaining what some people find to be um, confusing uh, and by it being confusing, they're afraid of it or they get angry at it or something. And so I can't wait to see how much more you're able to uh, like think through these things in ways that help everyone else (laughs) understand them, Uh, which brings me to your book. So by the time this episode goes out, your book will be out. Explain to me this book. Wow. So, okay. The book is just, it feels weird because I feel like it's a kind of a memoir, which Mm -hmm. I'm only 22. So it sounds odd, but I do feel like I've lived so many lives and I wanted to, at this age, condense more of my revelations essentially into one small digestible packet for people that are going through the same thing because there are so many people going through the same thing of just exploring the binaries, you know, and Mm -hmm. Whether that be gender or disability or race, there's just, our world is structured in this black and white way, at least the Western world and our culture here. And I just wanted everyone to realize the continuum of all things beyond gender, you know, disability Mm -hmm. and et cetera, race. So that's why I wrote Continuum to really just like walk people through my personal experiences basically like read some bits of my diary. Some portions of the book are actually like pulled from diaries that I've kept over the years and just like give them the tools to deconstruct all these boxes that inevitably they have been put in if they so want to unpack. Yeah. Were there parts of the book and now, uh, you know, this is, I think before it comes out officially, it's not officially out right now, right? No. Uh, so people get to hear uh, all of the before chatter. Uh, were there parts of the book that you struggled with it being too personal to put out there? For yeah. sure. Yeah. There's some moments that um, I make mistakes, you know, mm. but I feel like those are the best moments to share because it just it extracts you from this idea that you have to be perfect, which is mm-hmm. in itself so self-destructive because no mm-hmm. one is perfect. And then yeah. the very idea of that is just flawed because everyone has their own ideas of what is right and wrong. And so mm-hmm. I just wanted people to know that I make so many mistakes, just like any other person in the world. And yeah. I won't say exactly what that mistake is. <laughs> I, I do apologize for it um, right, uh, at the very end, which is when I talk about it 
uh, it's just like some silly mistake I made as a kid, but I just wanted people to know, you know, that I've, I'm not this perfect person and I never yeah. will be. So I wanted to emphasize that. I think that's wonderful. There is, you know, because of social media too, people curate these seemingly beautiful and, you know, perfect lives that yeah. infect people. And they think that they have to compare themselves to what they think is someone else acting perfectly when really it's truly just a slice of their life that they've decided to let you see. Um, what part of the book are you most proud of? What if there is one part? What part? Yeah. Are you most Maybe proud I, um, of if there is one part that you... I, my first reaction is not a specific part, but the fact that I was somehow able to tie all the different aspects of my identity into one fluid narrative, which mm. was the hardest part of beginning to write at the beginning, because I was like, okay, I have so many stories with disability and gender and being biracial and growing up in like a small conservative town, but how do I tie this all together? And I realized that they are also connected because within any kind of marginalized identity, systemic oppression just ties together in the way that it works. And that is a very easy thread to kind of like weed together. It's just how it works, you know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's really, like I keep saying this, incredible how, uh, I feel like how advanced you are on all of this and you're just like bringing us along with you and helping all of us. Um, now, aside from the book, you do so many other things. Talk to me about uh, Silver Art Projects. Yes, that's a dream come true. Um, yeah, what is this? So it's essentially just an artist residency at the World Trade Center. And I will be mentoring there this year. And they give you a space, a beautiful space. When I first saw it, I they were showing me around, but I, I could not like focus on the words. <laughs> I was just like, looking at the view like, what? This is yeah. so gorgeous. Um, and they just give you a space to create art, which is literally the only thing that I wanted in my yeah. life, you know, besides to just be respected and treat, treated as a, a human being. But, yeah. um, uh, this whole next year, we will be bringing on 25 other artists to the mentorship or to the residency mm -hmm. and just kind of creating this ecosystem within New York of this free space to do whatever you want, to talk, to build a community. And I'm super excited to see the art that comes out of this because I know we are centered on making this a very safe space for everyone involved. And when you feel safe and you have space to create art, that's the most beautiful combination. Uh, yeah, beautiful things get made. Uh, yeah. I'm curious, what is... Uh... What are your thoughts on mentorship in art? Like, why is a mentorship so important as an artist or finding a mentor? It leads back to representation, I believe. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, there can be so many facets of mentorship, whether that's someone who's gone through something or if you just like kind of want to talk something out. Yeah. But just having other perspectives and other realities to tap into can expand your own. Mm -hmm. And that's the exact idea of representation as well. So I feel like it's just creating a safe space to talk with people about their ideas and potentially like enhance it overall and push it even farther. 
Yeah. Have you had a mentor in your uh, artistic journey? Yes. Yeah. So I, I can't pick one, but um, my first mentor was absolutely my mom, just like her resilience and drive. Um, I distinctly remember moments that I was sitting like in my school and we had to have these huge meetings with all my teachers about disability and how they could accommodate me. And there were many times where they would not give me the accommodations that I needed. And like the passion that came out of my mom and the drive and the fight and just her, her unconditional love for me to see that at a young age will always inspire me. So definitely first and foremost, my mom. Um, and now I actually have a friend coming later today to hang out who I've always looked up to. Her name is Christine Sun Kim and she's a deaf Asian artist. When I was in high school, at the time I identified as a cisgender woman so to see this female Asian deaf artist who also has given a TED talk, I was watching it in high school, just is exactly what I'm talking about with mentorship and um, representation. I didn't even need to know her personally to feel so impacted and mm. inspired by how powerful she was and how proud she was of who she is. Yeah. Um, and just seeing her exist was all I needed at that time. Wow. I mean, that, yeah, I can imagine or uh, just how powerful that must be. Um, speaking of powerful, uh, your partner, Mary V, uh, had a show recently or has currently a show uh, that you are featured in. Tell us about this because this seems incredible and also very, you know, exposing. Absolutely. Um, so over the years of medically transitioning, Mary V has documented it. It kind of mm-hmm. started unintentionally just because she at her core is an artist and a photographer. And so mm-hmm. she's always taking photos everywhere. So just the second I met her, she just have a camera, you know? Yeah. And as we've almost been together for five years now. And so this documentation has been long, you know, and drawn out, but she's been able to capture like the physical and emotional journey that I've gone through while starting testosterone and getting top surgery. And this gallery in Denver at Union Hall just shares a lot of those images. Definitely not all of them. There are so many that we still have never shown anyone, but just to see the reactions of people coming in of all ages, you know, and all ethnic, just so much diversity. So many people were left with tears in their eyes. And that was just very striking to me to see that basically the power images had mm-hmm. and how they could feel what we went through, through this projection. It's just wild to me. And in addition to that, she did a performance piece where she constructed this box fully made of plexiglass. So when you walk in, they open the curtains, you walk in, it's all mirrors, like the bottom, the sides, the roof. And Mary V is standing there completely naked in these like tall ass heels (laughs) and just quiet and like letting you look at her and being so vulnerable just as I have been when I was sharing my journey on testosterone. And I feel like that was almost like her way of leveling the playing field of like, understanding that she's this cisgender photographer 
sharing these queer trans stories and wanting to also be just as vulnerable as us and literally standing bare naked in wow. a room with anyone who would want to come in. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very inspired by, by her. And so, yeah, this whole experience has been incredible. Wow. I mean, I give her such kudos. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm barely comfortable in a bikini. So <laughs> that's uh, Wait, incredible. Exactly. It's her <laughs> confidence and it's inspiring. Yeah, and bold vulnerability uh, is really incredible. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I have a million more questions for you. So we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Hi, friends. Grace Helbig here from the podcast Not Too Deep, which you are currently listening to, hosted by me, Grace Helbig. Just wanted to say a couple of things. One, thank you so much for listening. And two, if you are enjoying yourself to such a degree that you'd love to leave us a um, review on the Apple Store, that would be so appreciated because again you are very appreciated for giving us your time your ears your attention whatever it may be uh and that was my couple of things now back to me me okay we're gonna get back into it i i mean in terms of talking about this vulnerability and and mary v and you sharing your book uh, i mean do you get anxious before you share your art or are you of the mindset that the world needs this so I need to put it out there. It's definitely a continuum. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> both. Um, and it really depends on the piece that I'm putting out mm-hmm. and also my mental state at that time. Okay. Uh, I also want to talk a little bit about um, the jewelry collection that you've created. Yeah. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah. So, oh my goodness. Um, this has been a dream come true. I imagined a collaboration like this since I was in high school. So it started out that I approached some people at Private Policy, which is this small Asian-owned brand. And I went to their fashion show in New York Fashion Week and loved the fact that every piece they had had this ideology that was just this deeper meaning, you know, and mm-hmm. I always love that. I'm I'm a sucker for like metaphors, especially in art. I barely got that from you. <laughs> yeah. You love deep meaning? Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, it's shocker for some people. No, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. So so I asked them to coffee and mm-hmm. I approached them with this idea of designing an earpiece to go on my ear. And if you don't know me, I wear two cochlear implants, mm-hmm. which um, help with my ability to hear. Mm-hmm. And I've never had control over the design of them. As, a, as an artist and someone who is into fashion and just into understanding the ways in which we present ourselves in this world, I want my own agency over what's on my body, you know? Yeah. And I've always been drawn to ear jewelry, but sometimes it's not accessible or accommodating to wear with my cochlear implant. And Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to design my own where it didn't conceal my cochlear implant or my disability, but rather amplify it and accentuate it because I'm proud of it and I'm proud of being deaf. So working with private policy was incredible because I know nothing 
about <laughs> designing the actual pieces of jewelry. So um, I was just sketching a lot of ideas from like different dimensions and angles. And then I'd share that with seeing one of the owners of private policy and she would handle that part. So it was this perfect balance and it came out so beautifully. Um, it just looks like this line work that I that wraps around your ear. They're so cool. And uh, in addition, the video that you put out with it to, you know, kind of promote the line is stunning. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was also a dream that I've had envisioned since I was like in middle school. It's really cool. And is this uh, is this line available currently? Yes, it is. It's limited Amazing. edition. So okay. there are, I believe, actually, I spoke with her this morning, a few pieces left, but it's definitely still available for now. Great. Wonderful. Uh, you're just so busy. I can't believe you made time to talk to me today. No, uh, of course. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to get into the two questions that I ask every single guest that is on the podcast. Ooh. And the first is, who, alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? Wow, that's yeah. such an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask why you asked that as a reoccurring question? Well, it started, this podcast started uh, like six or seven years ago, and it was a very, as the title invokes, not very deep podcast. And so it was questions like that. And for some reason, that question uh, tickled people the most. And so we just kind of <laughs> kept it rolling into every episode. And it's interesting to see how people kind of respond to it because some people think it's a very silly question. Some people take it very seriously. And so it's wow. it's become almost the psychological test for people now. That's incredible. Have you actually thrown cold spaghetti at someone? You know what? If I have, I don't remember outright. Um, I feel like that's something you would remember. You would think that. I have a terrible memory. Um, but it is something that I just imagine is a very silly event to like see happening or to uh, partake in. Absolutely. Okay. Well, first person that came to mind is Trump. I would love, yeah. I would love to throw cold spaghetti at, and maybe like knock off his toupee. Like, exactly. It's a very popular answer. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> Completely understand. Says a lot about who's on the podcast. It's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, let me ask you now the other question I ask every single guest. It's to tell us your worst pants shitting story or like a, a bathroom emergency story, but you can only use three words or small phrases to describe the event. So, uh, for example, mine is college jogging front lawn. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I got it all from that. Um, Thank you. Let's see. <clears throat> okay. Middle school bathroom. Mm -hmm. Ampon. Mm -hmm. Popular girls. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, leave it all behind. <laughs> leave it all in the past. Yeah. Um, okay, Chellaman, now we have a section of the podcast called uh, Hot or Deep, where you can choose to uh, answer a deep question that we have prepared for you, okay. or you can give us a hot take on a topic that we have prepared for you. 
Okay, wait, hot take is just like a quick opinion? Like your, yeah, what's your opinion on this topic? Okay, okay. Um, and the deep question is something that we've prepared for you. Okay, well, let's do it. Let's try a hot take. Okay, your hot take is how do you know if you've sold out as an artist? Sold out? Like you've succeeded in selling all your work? Or like well, you're, you're done as an artist? In terms of like, you know, when you have these artists that are incredibly, um, you know, they do it for the art and then you see them kind of doing it for the finances versus the art. Hmm. Well, what I immediately thought is I feel like it really depends on their life situation. Like if they mm -hmm. have bills to pay or if someone in their family is sick or if they're donating that money, it really right. depends on like why they're using that money. And a lot of times people don't always disclose where their money is going. So True. I never really judge for like why people do certain things or at least Beautiful. I try not to or catch myself yeah. because you just don't know. And it's also really none of your business. Oh, what a beautiful answer. I love that. I'm curious, uh, in terms of your artistic process for what you work on, since you work in so many different kind of mediums, do you have a process or is it, do you have like, do you write down things when you're inspired? Do you kind of like look around and let, you know, the muses come to you? How do you go about it? Definitely continuum for, um, for paintings, I never really have a process. I kind of, I just go for it and that's mm -hmm. how I've always been. And I try to only go for it when I feel compelled to. I, I don't, I can't imagine doing art when I'm forcing myself because then it's not really my art. Like I don't feel it. It doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And with other things such as the beauty of being deaf film, those things required more planning. I couldn't just show up at a random pool with my cast and everything. <laughs> so, that, I mean, um, like, by the way, can you swim? I hope you can swim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm definitely having to explore more organizational artistic techniques. Mm, okay. Okay. Also, what is a dream project of yours that hasn't happened yet or are there dream projects in the works there are definitely some dream projects in the works that i'm excited will be coming out later this year um but i would love to do a mural someday mm. just like so massive and big i think after like living in new york and spaces that are so condensed to yeah. be able to do a mural would just be so liberating um yeah didn't you have your work on a billboard I do. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was also incredible because Amazing. I was like shown in my hometown of central Pennsylvania. So, wow. or not central Pennsylvania, just Pennsylvania. And yeah. it just felt like a full circle moment. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. Um, I'm also curious, do you, like, because you work in actual materials, do you think that social media is helping art or do you think that it takes away from the art you're doing? Oh, it really depends um, on the kind of artist you are. I think mm -hmm. it's also how you approach it and use it. It can absolutely not be meant for some kinds of art, yeah. which is something I'm very aware of now. And I am posting less art on social media because I'm realizing I want it to be received in a different way, similar to the mm. book. 
there's a lot of things that I wrote in the book that I would never share as an Instagram caption because right. it's not meant to just be digested. When someone's scrolling and accumulating like a million different captions, I want people to sit with it and be present, you know, and know that this is something they have to digest with time and patience rather yeah. than. <laughs> yeah, have a more intimate experience with exactly. the book. Yeah, versus just doom scrolling, seeing yours, thinking it's cool for a second and then moving on. Right, right. Um, okay, we're going to take one last break. And when we get back, we have some uh, viewer and listener supported and submitted questions that they need some help with that you and I can uh, always caveat, give some very unprofessional advice on. So we'll be right of back. Course. More Not Too Deep. No. Our last little bit here, and again, thank you for making time in what seems like the craziest, busiest schedule. Uh, no. You're like, no, I'm actually not doing anything at all. No, I'm chilling, chilling. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, this question comes from Kaylee and she is saying, uh, I'm wondering if you have any advice for someone about to graduate college. I'm very excited and ready to be done school, but I'm definitely anxious about moving on to the next part of my life. Yeah, I mean, first thing that comes to mind is just have no expectations because college is not what you see in the movies and yeah. it really depends on where you go. How was your college experience? It was so awesome because I left central Pennsylvania and mm -hmm. I came to New York, which I feel like is time traveling like 200 <sighs> years into this progressive future. Yeah, I, uh, I'm from South Jersey and then moved to New York right after I graduated college. And yeah, it felt like a uh, night and day. <laughs> yes. No, you know exactly how it is. It's like major culture shock in the best way. Yeah. Uh, but you went to the new school, right? I did. Yes. Uh, and, and how was that experience? I imagine it's just very inspiring and overwhelming. For sure. I made, I made friends there that I'm still so close to and to just be surrounded by so much passion is, yeah. is it's something I've never experienced before in central Pennsylvania. So yeah. it was very refreshing. So how, when did you graduate? I didn't actually. I technically I'm taking a semester off, but at this point, I don't know if school is for me because I was actually studying virtual reality programming, which is right. vastly different from what I'm doing now. Yeah. The, um, the VR program, uh, is VR good or bad for our society? <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's, it's, probably I know this is not too deep, but <laughs> not too deep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it really depends the kind of VR I wanted to do. I had this dream of creating these simulations where if you put the headset on and you would be basically guided towards different games where you were a trans individual or a deaf individual. And it could wow. be something like navigating a burrito bar, which a lot of people don't know is really hard for deaf and hard of hearing individuals because you yeah. have this fleeting encounter with someone who doesn't know about your disability, but you have to communicate with them clearly. And mm -hmm. so 
that's like one of the first instances I remember I really had to advocate for myself and my disability and say, Hey, I'm deaf. Like, these are my needs. These are what, these are how you can support me. And I've always wanted other people to be able to experience that. So like, it would be like, you know, you'd be going up and you'd have to get through this line and you'd be like focusing on their lips and the audio might be changing in and out and there could be background chatter. And I just, think VR is this incredible way to literally put you in the shoes of someone else if created well. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, I, I hope you hold on to that dream yeah. and get back to working on it because that I would be fascinated by. Yeah. And I'm sure it would be incredibly helpful because that's the thing too. Like you said, the ableist community doesn't, you know, recognize and like, are there... Is there like one thing that you would say is the most helpful like piece of advice you could give people on being more helpful in that regard? I think ask, you know, if you're yeah. unsure, like is if you politely ask, how can I support you right now? How can I accommodate you? Everyone's going to have a different answer. All disabilities are different. Even if yeah. we're both deaf, we both probably navigate things differently. And mm -hmm. to just ask shows that you considered our experiences enough to ask. And that honestly doesn't happen a lot. Wow. Interesting. Well, thank you for letting us know. Uh, I will for sure keep that in mind. And I think it's something, you know, you would expect or, yeah, you would assume people would do that. But uh, it's, I guess they're not. Uh <laughs> Okay, one last question for you for advice. Uh, this comes from Christina. They say, so I've struggled with uh, anxiety all my life and have a hard time speaking up. Uh, I'm afraid of getting forgotten at my job. How do I become more visible at work and in my team? I'm worried about saying the wrong thing that I end up not saying enough. What's your advice on this? Oh, I feel like I've been in that situation before too. And what I've realized about myself, I'm not sure if it relates with Christina, but mm -hmm. I have these subconscious expectations about how I want things to play out after I speak up. And mm -hmm. I think it's very important to remove all expectations because you really don't know how people are going to react. Yeah. And there's just like this subconscious portion of you that wants to control how things play out. and. I mean, radical acceptance, you really can't. You can't control how other people react to things. So reminding yourself of that and having no expectations and speaking up, you really can't go wrong. You can't be disappointed. Yeah, I agree. I've also, um, in group settings, I tend to find myself much more quiet. Uh, and I will have full conversations in my head. Uh, <laughs> I think kind of talking about what you're saying, uh, that you know, I would have with them or I talk myself out of saying things because I assume that they're going to respond a certain way. I also think that's possible depending on I don't know what work environment you're in that if you feel like in a meeting or something, you weren't able to speak up, send an email maybe with some additional thoughts just saying and that also will give you a second to like collect your thoughts and make sure they're exactly how you want them to be and send them along afterwards. Um in a way that you can't be interrupted on the worst case scenario is that they uh, won't respond to you, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with 
sometimes, you know, it's not people's thing. And email definitely gives you a sense of a little sense of control. I'm curious who, in terms of talking about like team and stuff, how do you decide who you want to collaborate with? It's just if I can hang out with them, you know, yeah. if I can just be honest and vulnerable and like see that their intentions are pure, then I've, I easily establish connections with people. But it's honestly, yeah, it's about energy too. Like how mm. comfortable, how safe I feel with them. And if I feel like their visions align with mine. Mm-hmm. Is it like a gut sensation? Do you follow your intuition a lot? Oh, I definitely follow my intuition. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Wait. Oh, I forgot to ask you about Titans. Oh, Titans. Talk, talk to us about Titans real quick before we wrap up completely. That was just wild because um, I acting was never something... I foresaw in my future. Right, so, I forgot that you, yeah, you tagged on another area of uh, artistic expression <laughs> into your repertoire. Yeah, it was. It was truly, you know, I think that's something I had to realize, that it was mm-hmm. an area of artistic expression and connecting with myself farther in this way that painting and, like, directing films or creating films never really allowed me. Mm-hmm. I had to use my whole body and my whole being and vessel because I had to believe I was someone else, you know, which is... Yeah not far off from my trans experience. So I feel like even though I didn't have any academic classes about acting, I've been Mm -hmm. acting for like 18 years (laughs) of playing this role of someone I didn't even want to be. So what did it look like to play someone that I actually did want to be? Wow. And that was really interesting to unpack. That's uh, so cool. I mean, you just have such a beautiful brain. I I love it so much. Um, I love that compliment. We're we're reaching the end of the podcast, but before you go, uh, we like to give each of our guests a personalized horoscope from us to you uh, that Melissa just put in the chat for you. If you'd like to read it out loud for everyone, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, <clears throat> dear Sagittarius, Archer of the Stars, as someone with a quick mind, your patience will be greatly tested this week by people slow to catch up. So we apologize now if you felt we asked any silly questions during this interview. Oh my gosh, no, not at all. <laughs> but no, but interesting. Oh, uh, it's I mean, it's written in the stars that way. I guess. Now, Shalomem, where can people find you? Where can they get the book? Where can they see everything that they're that you're up to if you don't already know? Yeah, you can you can find so I have a website. It's just my name, chellaman.com, and you can go to the shop portion of it and my book is available there. You can also donate a copy to queer disabled youth as well. Amazing. And I'm on Instagram under my name Chellaman and yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for making time and congratulations. I cannot wait to see what you do next. Uh, Like I said, your brain is so intoxicating that I I can't wait to see what happens. Please go check out everything that Chella Man is up to. Get the book. uh, Check out the uh, limited edition uh, ear jewelry. Check out uh, all of the art. And we'll check you guys out on the next episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. Was Grace Helbig.
Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated, producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry, and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. <laughs>